Welcome to the College Baseball Nation podcast. I'm your host, John Peters, joined by Kyle McKelvey. Today on the podcast, we're recapping all the action from week seven of college baseball. Let's talk college baseball. Hello there, Kyle. I'm reporting live from my son's nursery. I've been uh, relegated to the uh, the back room with some in-laws in town. You're just having a whale of a time in there. Oh, that's a pun that only those who were literally in the room with me would be able to appreciate. Giant, yep. giant whale in my son's sea-themed nursery behind me. It's a pretty nice theme. Our our theme for our nursery is like forest animals. And so we got deer, squirrels, owls, everything everywhere, all that. And pretty much all of her clothes are, are forest animal themed and all, like everything. It's just all deer everywhere. Committed to the theme. Oh, yeah. I mean... It's you know it's easy to just pick a theme and and go for it you know we got pretty much just every like I mean that's what every gift is it felt like when during our like baby shower was just you know deer everywhere deer everywhere <laughs> it's like growing up in the country no time for dilly dallying Kyle let's just hop right into our top story and our top story today there's a lot that we could have chosen from I'm gonna go with Kentucky. Because when you go 25 and three to start the year, the best record in college baseball, I think you deserve the right to be called the top story. And Kentucky, after sweeping Missouri, did in fact move to 25 and three on the weekend. They swept Missouri emphatically. So two run rules start off that series 12 2, 10 nothing. If you can do a little bit of quick math there, that means the first two games they combined to allow just two earned runs on nine hits, four walks. A plethora of pitchers got the job done when it came to game three. uh, Missouri scored just one run in that game. A little bit of a walk problem for Kentucky, but on the whole, allowing one run per game over the weekend is going to get the job done and Kentucky gets the SEC sweep. And they're, they're also doing it with offense. They're, their top like six batters in their lineup are all hitting over 300 and with just a, a bunch of home runs and extra base hits galore and they're walking plenty. And I mean, they're maybe striking out a lot, but they're it's, they're getting it. They're getting the job done. Um, and against sec pitching is, is not easy. And they have played Mississippi state, which is probably one of the worst pitching staffs the sec has ever seen. It feels like um, <laughs> that's a little bit harsh, probably. Boy, I, I I need to go back and compare, but man, it is they they walk a ton. Um, and then that that series went on the road against Alabama it was really cool. I really want to see them, um, against a little bit tougher SEC competition. And Mizzou is really good still. We it's just that that sweep is really loud, and they're gonna get the chance the next couple of weeks. They go to Georgia and to LSU. Um, that will be a pretty pretty big series. Um. And then they host AM and Vanity. Yeah, it only gets tougher from here, I feel like, for, for Kentucky. Yeah, I think some bigger themes here with Kentucky are that the Wildcats are eight and one in the SEC, which right now the SEC East is really packed at the top. Top four teams are seven and two or better. We have Vanderbilt undefeated, nine and oh, South Carolina and Kentucky eight and one, Florida seven and two. That's compared to the SEC West, which is just a a whole mess of Two teams, LSU, Arkansas tied at six and three, and then three teams at three and six, and Ole Miss and Mississippi State at one and eight. But I think the greater narrative here for Kentucky is they control their own destiny. They could win the SEC East (laughs) sitting at eight and one. Um, And I think they're doing all of this with 
some impressive stats to go along with this. So they're eight and two on the road to start the year, 17 and one at home. That eight and two on the road mark is pretty impressive. That's hard to do. They're sitting at number one in the RPI, number one in the RPI plus. So that along with their number two strength of schedule has made it so that they already built themselves a really nice resume. I was a little bit surprised to see that their number two strength of schedule. I think one thing that strength of schedule does that is maybe not the most intuitive strength of schedule is just all about how much your opponents win, which is like a reasonable measure of strength and schedule for sure. And so when you go back to look at their overall record at this point in the season, as of right now, they have only played two games against teams with losing records. So that's really hard to do. Most of the teams yeah. they've played have winning records. And they had a couple uh, of series early on in the season that have turned out to be maybe a little bit more impressive, at least in terms of record than we would have thought. Elon is 19 and 9. They won a series against Elon, Wright State, 15 and 12, Indiana State, 14 and 12, Southern Illinois, 15 and 13. And then, of course, the SEC opponents, Mississippi State, Alabama, Missouri have won 16, 21, and 19 games, respectively. And so there's just a lot of wins from coming from their opponents. And I think that's going to continue. I mean, as, as long as they keep getting, I mean, when they get farther and farther into SEC play, they're going to keep playing teams with winning records. Like, like I said, they're playing at LSU. They're 24 and four. That's they have one more loss than Kentucky does. And so they, that will only help their strength of schedule. And same with Vanderbilt's 23 and five Louisville is one gamer that's 21 and six. So yeah, like it's probably going to continue and they're just going to keep bolstering each other. Like we saw with, um, was that Fairfield a few years ago? Yeah. Fairfield. And so in the, Ma'ak. Yeah, they're undefeated, and so everyone that they played had that one like boost to their RPI, and so then they it, like kind of circular a little bit. It felt like, and yeah. so maybe that's what we're seeing here. Like Elon has got a thirty-two in the RPI, and that's they won two at three on the road, and that, so I don't know. Maybe it's all circular. Maybe RPI sucks. We already knew that though. Time is a flat circle. So uh, I think one thing that's kind of bewildering is that they have the number two strength of schedule and they haven't played Vanderbilt, South Carolina, Tennessee, Florida, LSU. Like that's that's what's left. Like if they're not top five strength of schedule by the end of the year, then I I, I, I don't know. You can I'll bet my whole life savings on the fact that they will be uh, this SEC West race. East, East race is going to be really fun. Yeah, I love how they finish the year with. Vanderbilt, South Carolina, Tennessee, Florida. That's four straight SEC Ooh. East series. We're going to find out if Kentucky is any good. Uh, regardless, though, they're eight and one. They're 25 and three. And Kentucky is off to a great start to the year. Let's head over to our top 50 and our Pick'em recap. Kyle, that top 50, the top five of it is the exact same as it was a week ago. The top five teams in the country, LSU, Wake Forest, Florida, Vanderbilt, Arkansas all won their series over the weekend. No change there. We had a little bit of change afterwards with South Carolina moving up to six, Stanford, Virginia, seven, and eight, North Carolina, nine, Boston College, 10. That rounds out to the top 10. Moving into the top 50, Virginia Tech pops back in. So does Arizona State. Indiana, Northeastern, Cal State, Fullerton, and Sam Houston also join the top 50. What are your impressions about our top 50, Kyle? Well, I made the joke when we were making this that I wish Washington State would make up its mind on whether it's a good team or not. And and then you added the the rest of the Pac-12 as well. Like Arizona State's jumping in and out and Arizona jumped like was in for a while and they've plummeted and Oregon keeps winning random series here and there. 
Southern Cal is just kind of consistent, which is is uh is pretty nice to see from from that West Coast power, like kind of consistent. First place in the way. conference right now. They're they're winning yeah. at twelve as of today. They're just they're doing it they're doing it the right way. They I think they won fourteen to nothing in two games over Utah in the first two, and then Utah salvaged game three, but um two good shutouts and they're just they're doing it the right way. Maybe maybe USC is back. I don't know. Yeah, the 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 Arizona schools, the Oregon schools have definitely not made up their mind. Uh, but we do have a total of seven teams from the Pac-12 ranked in our top 50. That's only behind ACC with eight and the SEC with 12. That number 10 ranking for Boston College is Boston College's highest ranking of all time. Kind of fun. Number 11, Campbell. Number 12, UConn. Also, those two teams' highest rankings of all time. So we have three teams right there at 9, 10. Sorry, 10, 11, and 12 that are all ranked the highest they've ever been in program history. So that was a fun stretch of history that we produced right there. Nice. And and, and then new to the top 25, not a whole lot of change, but we had Maryland re-entering after taking that road series at Iowa and Coastal Carolina popping up to 25. Haven't lost a week in series yet, Coastal. Yeah, they're they're coming. Maybe uh win the Sun Belt, which is just extra competitive this year, it feels like. And I pushed for UC Santa Barbara to join the top 25, but they're right there at 26 after um, a losing weekend, but not much other losing besides this weekend. It felt like it felt like it was it was hard. Like we needed 26 spots for our top 25, which is not how math works as far as I know. Agreed. Uh, that is not how math works. <laughs> <laughs> Let's take a look now over at our Pick'em results from a week ago not a bad week uh i i went three and two i'll do my losses first oregon at arizona i picked the home team should have known oregon does not lose on the road that does not seem like something that oregon is capable of they're five and one on the road this year so uh i was wrong about that one oregon ended up sweeping that i feel a little bit bitter though i went to bed with arizona winning the second game of that series 10 nothing and i was like yeah i'm I, even though the series go arizona uh, they ended up losing that game 13 to 11. They lost game three of that series, eight to five. Things aren't looking all that great in Tucson. I picked Southern Miss uh, at Troy. I gave the, the tip of the cap to Troy. I, I nodded to them, thought maybe they could uh, outmash Southern Miss. Southern Miss pitched really well in that series. So Southern Miss did win that one. So those are my two losses. I correctly got Oklahoma State over Texas only by the skin of my teeth. Uh, Morehouse of Texas a little wild in that game three finale it led to a walk-off win for the Cowboys yeah hits by pitch walks I think he walked the bases loaded it was yeah it was wild it was pitch for the, the tying run yeah man that sucks uh, that sucks if Aggies, you're a Texas fan just one pitch Aggies did get the win over Ole Miss they won that series two games to one and Old Dominion did take that road series at Georgia the Southern Two, two games to one. Uh, all is perfect in the world of Georgia Southern because they have once again hit a 500 record. They're 14 and 14. <laughs> every week I check their record. It seems every week they're somehow right at 500. But that was my three and two week. How about you, Kyle? I went two and three. Uh, not exactly pleased, but you know I'm just still just around 500. Uh, can't really ever get above or below it that far. It feels like. Um, but let's see. One of my so I guess I'll start with my wins because it's got to you know start with a good a good note. Um, it won't take that long. It won't take that long. 
So I correctly picked LSU over Tennessee. It felt like a, a no-brainer. LSU won that one in the, the won the series in the first two games, and um, Tennessee salvaged Game Three. <clears throat> Feels like that game kind of or that series kind of lived up to um, the high billing it got. It was it was like the SEC prime game on on Thursday night. Um, to Can I like, say that like I'm a little teams. bit worried about Tennessee pitching. Like I know they've gone up against some really big. Uh, offensive teams like giving up mm-hmm. what they gave up only five six runs in those first two losses but Dolander yeah. has like struggled a little bit in terms of walking guys in terms of con- command uh compared to last year 10 to no just totally dominant I don't think Dolander's command is quite as good as it was a year ago yeah maybe he, he's still got an incredible arm where you can throw it <laughs> Really hard. I think he throws it over 100. But yeah, I, I do want to see him um, limit the walks a little bit. I feel like I feel like there were some walks and some some missed spots that that kind of gave that game to LSU. But um, all in all, I picked that one right for the home team. That one didn't fail me there. Um, the road team actually won my second series. North Carolina beat Notre Dame on the road. North Carolina jumped in number 50 in our top in our top 50 and quickly fell out. Losing a home series against a, a higher team is is uh, or a higher ranked team is what you're expected to do. But uh, North Carolina did that game, uh, won that. Um, just they felt like they kind of dominated the first two. It never felt particularly close, uh, even though it was only five runs, five run difference. It just felt like North Carolina had those games in the bag. The next two or the next three, I guess, that my losses. Um, I picked Iowa. Uh, I shouldn't have counted on Iowa. <laughs> I feel like, especially when there's Jason Savakul, Matt Shaw, they're when they're on. Maryland is is the team that we expected. They were top. Yeah, they're clicking right now. The they're clicking yeah. for sure. Savakul was a little wild in game one. In in the first inning, he let up a grand slam and then a, another solo shot early, but then settled down and only let up another solo home run the next in the next few innings, um, and then. That's when uh, Maryland exploded. Matt Matt Shaw hit a 507 foot grand slam that it went like over the practice field, practice football field in the outfield. It was it was a bomb. Hit all the way um, to College Park. Yeah, pretty much. So, <laughs> and, and he, I think he continued to just dominate Iowa pitching on the weekend. So, um, Maryland won that series, and I I won't count out Maryland for the rest of the year. Uh, next. Louisville lost the series to NC State. I went with the road team there. I just felt like Louisville was a little bit hot, but should have known they had just lost that series the previous week to Notre Dame. Um, you got yeah, like back to back series win. losses for Louisville on the road. Yeah, I feel like Louisville's got to win the games that Ryan Hawks pitches. He's he's their ace, and he is a tough luck loss. He went seven innings, only let up um, five hits, two earned runs, a little bit wild, three walks, but you know. It, it happens when you go up against the cardiac pack. Uh, I think that was it for me. Oh, Oregon State, Washington. I didn't know what to expect here. I felt like we recapped Washington this. Was hot. The Pac 12 is unpredictable. <laughs> yeah. Washington was hot. Oregon State wasn't. So Oregon State wins. What are you going to do? What are you going to do indeed? And we will be back again on Wednesday to pick week eight's best matchups. Let's take a quick break. And we're back with What Are the Odds? Welcome back. 
time for What Are the Odds, a segment where we're given three scenarios and we have to assign the likelihood that each of these events happen. First up, we're going to talk a little bit more about the SEC East because, I mean, there's so much to unpack here. South Carolina is sitting at 26 and three. Man, I said that Kentucky had the best record in the country earlier on the pod, but I forgot that both South Carolina and Wake Forest have one more win. So uh, they, yeah. in fact, Kentucky does not have the best record in the country. Uh, but South Carolina, so 26 and three overall, sitting at eight and one in the SEC. They've played three SEC series so far at Georgia against Missouri at Mississippi State. How what are the odds that South Carolina ends up winning the SEC East? Let's see, probably about let's say 10%. <laughs> I like that number. number. Let's talk about how you got there. So <laughs> I, I think one thing that I want to start thinking about is who who are the competitors in the SEC East? Because yeah. I think that's the kind of the big question here. And at this point in the season, I think there's five teams that have a chance of winning the SEC East. Mm -hmm. uh, Vanderbilt, South Carolina, Kentucky, Florida, Tennessee. Tennessee is at four and five. So for order for Tennessee to win the SEC East, it's going to have to take something special. But Tennessee has yet to play uh, Vanderbilt, Georgia, Kentucky, South Carolina. So they'll have some chances against some SEC East teams. What's your power rating for those teams right now in terms of Who's most likely to win the SEC East? Man, I th I think I'm going to go Vanderbilt number one. Then South Carolina and Florida, and then Kentucky, and then Tennessee. I don't know. Vanderbilt's nine and zero in the conference, and their their offense is looking really good. Uh, man, it's hard. It's hard to root to pick against that Vanderbilt offense right now. I like what you're thinking. I like how Vanderbilt is 9-0. They've been nearly unstoppable since SEC play started, so I think they're in my top tier. I'm going to put Florida up there with them because even though Florida is 7-2, so two games behind Vanderbilt, I think they have the ability to compete. It's interesting, South Carolina and Kentucky, I think between the two, I like South Carolina over Kentucky. But then Tennessee, even though they're 4-5, and five, they've played a pretty tough start to the SEC schedule. I wouldn't be surprised if Tennessee ends up closer to second or third in the SEC East at the end of all of this. So I'm going to say South Carolina is probably in that like second tier for me. I don't, I don't mind 10%. I think it's a pretty good answer. Now, what are the odds that we have at least one team that will average 10 runs per game on the season? Let's give you a little bit of context for this. In 2022, we had Rutgers who averaged 9.6 runs per game that was best in the country uh throughout the top 10 we had several teams averaging eight plus nine or so runs a game right now in 2023 we've had more offense than we did a year ago campbell is averaging 10.8 runs per game lsu 10.6 coastal 10.6 florida gulf coast 10.2 florida 10 five teams are averaging right now 10 runs or more per game and then several teams in the top 10 still who are competing towards that so what do you think, Kyle? What are the odds that one of these actually does it, actually averages more than 10 runs a game? Hmm. Well, since we have five, I feel like the odds are pretty good. Uh, the pitching that these teams will face will undoubtedly get better over time. But I don't know. Uh, let's say let's say 10% again. I don't know. Maybe, 10%? Maybe like single digits. I don't know. Some no. I, like, I think it's a lot higher than that. Really? I feel like this is almost, uh, I want to say like 80% chance that it happens at this rate. 
Because I'm looking at Campbell going to the Big South. I think their outfits is way, way, way outmatches other Big South pitching staffs. And True. Florida Gulf Coast, I think, I uh, will also maybe has already has some of the best pitching staffs behind them. Uh, I do think it's going to be tough for LSU, Florida, and mm-hmm. probably Coastal Carolina to keep this up. But I think this, I think it's going to happen. We're not going to hit our I record. Wichita State is 12.06 in 1998, but we're, we're trending in that direction. Yeah, it's interesting. People have been complaining, I feel like, this year. Or maybe, I don't know, maybe I've just been misreading the tweets and stuff, but um, so, some somehow kind of complaining about the, the balls maybe being juiced, and that's why we have so many more home runs. Um, but it's possible that it's just the, the new pitch clock rules maybe make it a little bit harder for pitchers to get settled and and maybe they're going too fast in their minds. So they're not throwing as good of pitches. So that's why like there's a little bit like a few more cookies to just smack out the park. It, it seems, it seems like there's maybe something to that. And I wish that, I don't know, may, maybe next year we'll have another comparison to see if it's, if the home runs are still going up, maybe they're definitely juiced. Yeah. Or it's just another year to have the pitch clock um, like under the belt with pitchers. I think you're totally right about that. I think the pitch clock is probably doing something to pitchers in terms of locating pitches. I don't think it can only be that, though, because exit velocities are so absurdly high in college baseball this year that it's just it's not possible. Like, it's not possible that there's not something different about the ball or about the bats. The bats are more regulated, I think. So I think something's got to be different about the balls. Yeah, yeah, you're probably right. And I guess just home runs doesn't tell the full story, I guess runs in general is like more walks pitchers are maybe a little bit more wild but also yeah. you're getting hit hard i don't know last up what are the odds that a quote non-power team hosts a regional and the reason why i came up with this one was because it seems that every year is at least a couple of the teams outside of uh let's say traditional baseball powers that's hosting a regional it seems like every year east carolina is one of them Currently, after they dropped a series on the road at Houston and their RPI dropped down to 30, by no means impossible for East Carolina to host a regional, but they made it a little bit tougher with that. However, we do have a few teams that are in the top 20 in RPI from outside of power conferences. We have Coastal Carolina sitting at 12, Campbell at 14, Northeastern at 17, Santa Barbara at 20, UConn knocking the door there for that cutoff at 21. So at the end of all of the craziness that is the college baseball season, are any of these going to be hosting a regional? What are the odds? And I'll take a stab at this one first. I think I'm going to go with like 60% here. And so tired than I would have thought. Yeah, I know. I, I, I was like mouthing out the word slowly. So that I had time <laughs> to like calculate it. I think I'm, I'm go- I went up from where I started and I think at least a decent part of that is I think there's a chance that East Carolina bounces back and gets their RPI high enough. Like I, I, half of my fraction is based off of East Carolina hosting a regional because they have the pedigree. And yeah, they started one and two in the American Athletic, but I still think they could win 40 games and have their RPI closer to 1520 and then probably be hosting a regional because they do it. People know them that they've earned that reputation. And then let's say the other like half of my calculation has to do with the fact that like someone in the Sun Belt, I think has a really good chance of hosting a regional yeah. because the Sun Belt is so deep and coastal is right up there. Campbell, I think is going to win a lot of games will be at least in the conversation. I think it's going to be harder for Northeastern colonial is going to bring them down eventually, maybe similarly with Santa Barbara, but I think coastal has a really legitimate shot. I think, I think UConn too, they're 21st in the RPI. The big East is 
uh, maybe a little bit down this year, but they got, I mean, they have the 79th strength of schedule so far, so maybe not, but they're 20 and six right now. And if they can stay around, like they probably have to go up to 15 somewhere in there in the RPI and maybe, maybe, maybe they'll be good enough. All right. What, what's your take on my 60%? It just felt, it felt loud when you said it at first. So maybe, maybe it's fine. I, I maybe go like 50%. Turn down the dial. Either it happens or it doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> Either it happens, Either it happens or it doesn't. Or it doesn't. Right? <laughs> All right. Let's wrap this up with a little bit of meal time. We have a couple questions I want to answer on today's podcast. The first one comes to us via Harold on Twitter. And his question was, historically, what is the RPI cutoff for making the NCAA tournament? Harold found the predictive RPI feature on Warren Nolan. And if you're listening right now and haven't gone and checked out Warren Nolan's site in college baseball statistics and predictions, it's pretty cool. It's fun to play with. Warren Nolan does a lot of really awesome stuff. Just as for the record, I don't think the predictive RPI is particularly accurate, but Harold discovered that currently Wichita State is predicted to have an RPI of 48 by the end of the year. Harold, I think, accurately pointed out that's a fairly optimistic perspective on Wichita State, but he wanted to know, is it possible that Wichita State ends up being a bubble team and maybe will have a resume to get in to the NCAA tournament. Harold, that's a great question. I really like it. And I think I'm going to answer it in a few stages. So first, I think if you want to feel safe to make it to the NCAA tournament, you want your RPI in the 20s. I think it, I, I can't think of an example off the top of my head of an RPI team in the 20s that was left out of the NCAA tournament. Similarly, if you're in the 30s for the RPI, you should feel pretty good. But we have an example last year of NC State not making it, even though their RPI was in the 30s. So uh a softer cutoff, I would say, is somewhere in the 30s. The top 40 is, is where you want to be for RPI. But every year, the committee does something that surprises us. And some teams that are maybe outside of what we expect um, make the NCAA tournament. In 2019, TCU was an outlier at 59 in the RPI. Florida State was 50 in the RPI. Both those teams made the NCAA tournament. The year before, Washington was 63 in the RPI when they made it into the NCAA tournament, and they ended up making a run to Omaha that year. So I don't know if you can say great job committee or Washington didn't belong there in the first place, whatever your take is on that. Regardless, teams outside the top 50 can make it to the NCAA tournament. So at the end of the day, if Wichita State is 48 in the RPI, like predictive RPI is saying right now, I would say they have a chance. I'm not sure the American is a multi-bid league this year, so I, I wouldn't bet on it. Kyle, this one, I'll throw it to you first. 1012 Pod offers us the question of what do we think about college baseball possibly thinking about turning to the 32 host brackets that NCAA Volleyball and Soccer are now using. Kyle, you for against that? Oh, man. There, I, think I'm, I think I'm for it. I think it goes to the fact that that college baseball plays mid, like weekend series as like their main, like, I don't know, like that's, that is what most people most, I mean, everyone does throughout the whole year. And then you switch it up for the conference, for the tournament, just for, I don't know, just for having fewer host sites, I guess, maybe that, maybe that's the main reason, but yeah. So it doesn't feel as genuine as maybe a, a, a normal uh, to it. The regional experience isn't as genuine as a, as a two out of three weekend series. I get that. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think, I think that would, I mean, I'm assuming that's how 32 hosts you play. You play like a, a weekend series and it goes down to 
to the to the 16 teams after two weekends is that how it works or would it be I think that's the idea and I think the yeah. the issue for me though in my mind is like what do you do once you get to Omaha because like you can't yeah. continue to do weekend series or else it's going to take like what five weeks six weeks I, I can't do the math right now in my head it's gonna take a long Sounds time right. be- before <laughs> you finish the baseball tournament and like you know no one wants to be in like late July still watching postseason baseball so um I think I'm not I think the pro sport is it, is it gets more more like I don't know just more uh eyes on the sport on more different like uh, more uh different places i guess i think i think that's just kind of cool to like see yeah. a bunch of different places and have a little bit of a home field advantage for part of it yeah the other issue with the regional format right now is those like two three matchups when the crowd is only like 50 percent full because it's neither neither team is actually the home right. team if you have 32 host sites there's always going to be a home team so there's always going to be a home atmosphere so that would be a, a part to that so i think if the baseball rules people decided that's how it's going to be moving forward i'd really miss the regional format but i think there would be a lot of things to be excited about i think i think you have to keep omaha alone like leave it alone though i I feel like that would be what they do well thanks for listening to the college baseball nation podcast if you haven't already rate the podcast do it now pause the podcast go rate it on whatever app you're listening to now that you unpause the podcast, check out our social media at collegeballnet and our website collegebaseball.info. Thanks for listening and we'll see you on Wednesday.